Hey, everybody. Thanks for sticking around for the panel discussion here. Again, my name is Harold. I run a show called Tunes Tunes Podcast. Uh, we talk about anime, music, uh, things going on in Oklahoma City, such as a screening. And yeah, I was really excited to be able to show this. My friend Mike did the poster for it. So if you like that, uh, you can buy one. We're going to, uh, I'll post the link online too. He's, he's selling them in his store if you want to buy them later. If anyone listening to this wants to buy one. Does he still have his Interstellar 555? He does. He did, a, he did a poster for Interstellar 555. Ten that's, out of ten. that's how you know fives? Four fives. Four fives. Ten out of ten. Win anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now he, uh, so we showed that last month for uh, our screening. We did several movies that were featured music in them. So, of course, we had to do the Daft Punk joint discovery. So that was cool. But yeah, his uh, he does great work. He usually does these posters for the anime screenings because he's a big anime fan. So, shout out to Mike for the for the great work on the poster. Uh, yeah, we got uh, you know whenever I kind of talked about doing this movie, uh, I think it was a no brainer for me to invite the Cinematropolis peeps on to talk about this just because they have uh, you know their podcast Cinematic Schematic. They do deep dives into film analysis it's more than just reviews like what we liked what we didn't like it's more like getting in the weeds and if you're into that type of thing definitely check out their podcast it's monthly right uh yeah we have one episode that goes up a month uh we semi-frequently have bonus episodes yeah some extras we try try to drop in there from time to time but one a month usually at the end of the month cool and uh so yeah real quick i'll let them introduce themselves we'll just go down the line starting with alex here Hi, my name is Alexandra Bohannon. I host a segment on the Cinematic Schematic called Soundtrack, and we talk about soundtracks on Soundtrack. Um, and that's that's me. Hi, my name is Caleb Masters. I'm the editor-in-chief, uh, film critic, and uh, host of the Cinematic Schematic. And uh, I really love this movie. Uh, it was one of my, uh, ranked in uh, one of my top ten movies of last year, which, uh, you know, anime, it's not the anime's lesser, but very often... It never falls, it never like lands in the, you know, it just doesn't seem like it lands in the upper echelon of top films. So whenever you said you were doing this film, I was like, oh my God. You're just introducing yourself, Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) He's bogarting the whole interview. Oh shit. Daniel's just dropping the hammer already. Let's get it, throw it down. so much. All right. Who are you, sir? It's it's months of animosity built up against Caleb. Just finally coming to a head here at this panel. Not surprising. And I'm Daniel. They left this microphone sitting on the ground, and that's. Their mistake, but no, I'm uh, the associate editor of the Cinematropolis, and then I also contribute to World Literature Today and the Oklahoma Gazette. And I also love the film, but I'll (laughs) tell you about it when we get into the... Please (laughs) gush about it. (laughs) No, and it's funny, uh, you know, starting off here with our discussion, it was, uh, you know, we kind of exchanged notes back and forth, uh, trying to decide what we're going to discuss during this episode, and... uh, Sure enough, we couldn't start off with a better one to kick off with. We uh, <laughs> we decided to show the subbed version here, and uh, it was a little lackluster, I guess we so, could say. Um, <laughs> when you were asking, hey, should we do subbed versus dub? I didn't realize that meant someone would actually, at the theater, the theater staff would actually have to go in. Shout out to Steven Tyler, I think. I think he did, uh, yeah. Who had to actually manually go in and put in the subs, so they were not the same subs that were on the Blu-ray or in the theater. Yeah, we had to, it was, yeah. I'm sure it was a better way to do it, but it ended up being... Not great, I, I guess. Mean, they got the point across. <laughs> there was some syntax that didn't make sense a lot of the time. But hey, you guys got the point. Right? Well, it's it was a big, not that yeah. way. So that was that was somebody. So that was 
somebody with he, the tower is manually doing he, that. They dropped in. I think he tried to do an SRT. We were talking about it a second ago. And it didn't quite line up in some places, yeah. and you tried to go through, but it's like, man, I wouldn't want to go through every second and try to do that. Like, he tried to get it as good as he could, but... Well, thank you for doing that. It's still better than... I mean, I didn't uh, know, I guess, but I also don't pay attention I haven't to. seen the dub, so I don't know how that compares. I've only ever seen the sub. So, yeah, the the, the dub is... Uh, so, uh, this movie watched it subbed in theaters and then bought it on Blu-ray like the day it came out and watched it dubbed first, and... You know, it's funny because normally I, I recommend uh, always dubs first unless it's really obviously terrible and distracting. And then I say absolutely go with the, the subbed. And the the dub for this movie is not bad. But here the, the, the thing that really stuck out to me is that they dubbed the music. They have a guy sing English lyrics to this song that's very clearly in Japanese. And <laughs> it, it's... it's um, Delightfully mediocre, I think, is the word I used with Caleb on chat. Hey, yeah, I love that girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, no, it actually sounds good sometimes. It's Bad. literally never a good idea to <sighs> dub an originally Japanese song and then just just maintain everything but the the lyrics and try and adapt those to English. I, that's what I was thinking about because Harold, by extension, you, and then by extension, Stephen. I used to be a bit of a snob for subtitles, but then when you think about it, like most of us were raised on dubbed anime, and secondly. Most dubs, especially nowadays, are pretty, I mean, they're, they do the job, and they, they successfully convey meaning. Um, I think I grew an appreciation for Akira's dub for that reason. But <laughs> there, I cannot think of a single scenario where a, a song that is, you know, translated in English directly <laughs> is good. And I think of, like, uh, one of my favorite animes, uh, Beck Mend- uh, Mongolian Chop Squad, an a anime about a band, they they do the same thing, <laughs> so like the dub itself is pretty okay for the dialogue, and then when you get into the 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 songs themselves, they just sound horrible. And I'm like, how the fuck did this band get any? <laughs> like, it makes it seem really funny. It makes it seem like a black comedy. Like this is a really bad band. Yeah, you're like, but was it were, supposed to be? We're like all just funny. supporting them for yeah. some reason. But the uh, but yeah, and then you hear like One Punch Man, the 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 official dub to that. That theme for One Punch Man is really good. And it, it gets the the point across for what the the show is going to be about. But then when you hear the dub, it just it makes it kind of like I don't know. I don't want to say I want to throw up, but like I can't describe <laughs> the feeling. Like you want to one punch the guy who decided to do the dub. Word. Uh, Nicely song. done. Nicely done, Caleb. No, yeah. I was, Another. <laughs> I wasn't being hateful. Calm down. <laughs> Another thing um, that frequently happens with sub versus dub debates, it gets super gatekeepy very fast uh, about like film elitism and everything like that. And I can understand, I mean, I know I was that guy too. So it's like, unless it like totally wrecks the source material where it's like unrecognizable, um, like gender swapping the characters, what's happened a lot in nineties anime to cover up like gay love stories and stuff like that. Um, like for like for, uh, for, uh, Funimation and coming over to the states and stuff. So unless it like does something that's like wrecks the story, I mean, well, I mean these days it doesn't really do that. They don't, we don't really have that kind of. No, there's only like minimal dialogue. I think, yeah, like the instance where Taki is, uh, excuse me, Mitsuo is in Taki's body and she uses the wrong like gender pronoun. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's a great little bit there. That kind yeah. of, it does make a difference, but I don't think it's it's significant. I doubt. The, the power of the film is really lost when you when you dub it into English, with the exception of the music, maybe. maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, because uh, uh, generally speaking, I would just say, 
when you when you dub something, and especially when it's solid, to go back to the gatekeeping point, I, I found that most of my friends are way more open to watching dubs. And, and generally, if the the dub's good, I've come to appreciate the art of uh, voice acting because a lot of for a lot of voice actors, which by the way, it's in a very small shrinking field of acting. Uh, I really appreciate what those people can bring to the table that say if you just wouldn't hire like, some epic movie actor like uh, Ghibli. No offense to them. They do an amazing job. They get good people. But it's nice to buy, with a lot of these Funimation dubs. They generally get pretty good voice actors. Yeah. And one thing that I think is really interesting is how you can translate a voice that sounds extremely, like, I mean, Japanese in terms of its characteristics and, like, translate those into, like, English-speaking characteristics. So you're trying to convey that someone's scared. And so how do they convey that their voice and, like, a Japanese voice sounds scared in a different way that an American or British voice sounds scared. So how would you translate that? And I think, uh, like, animes like My Hero Academia, I will talk about that all day long, but I won't here. Uh, that has an amazing English dub that I will die on that hill very hard because I think it nails that. Amen. Carry over to English very well, and when the character leverages, like the character themselves, and I don't want to say I don't like Spike and Steve Bloom, right? Is the the voice of Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop? I mean, Spike in himself is already a bit of a westernized character. He's kind of a modern cowboy, and with that, I think it's easier for an American or an English voice speaking voice actor to to kind of adapt that and turn that into something that's that's their own, but also doesn't lose the the spirit of the character in of itself. I'd also throw out uh, Alex. Uh, My Hero Academia, they don't dub the uh, intro song. Yeah, I actually was thinking about that <laughs> the entire time. Shout out to Porno Graffiti. Oh, they yeah, did, Porno Graffiti. Did, 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 that's the name of the band that does the song. <laughs> that's right. No, it's a, it's a point of contention, and it's just, you know, uh, talk to people about it. Jacob's been there with me when people have gotten mad because we're showing a dub of something over a sub, so then we show the sub, and then it doesn't work, and it's like, God damn it, can we win? Like, But it is... You know, it's the point of, you know, the fan culture that people have become accustomed to, that people are just this way. Like, I'll only watch it if it's this way in the theater. And it's like, really? Like, why don't you just go watch anime in the theater? Like, how often do you get to do that? I mean, I like, why can't you just go? Like, why do you have to be elitist about it? Just go watch it and shut the hell up. <laughs> anyway. are talking about, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> I only watch my anime with Spanish dubs. Yeah. Only way exactly. I watch it. Me, There's a me lot of nombre. emotion that gets lost otherwise. <laughs> No, nah, man, um, it is. And, you know, talking about a little bit, you transitioning in whenever we're, we're talking about, like, some of the music being translated. I think this has a great soundtrack. Um, I really wanted Alex to kind of lead this point of the discussion just because she has that expertise with the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I found really interesting, um, first of all, uh, it has a lot of piano strings driven in our score. But one thing that I think is can be frequently undervalued in... C- like composing a soundtrack and this kind of goes into like the nebulous lines between sound mixing and like the editing of the 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 piece itself is the power of silence um i think that is completely can be extremely undervalued because i i made notes of like okay these big moments in the film like what what are we hearing what are we hearing on on the soundtrack itself and the marker drop which crushes me every single time instant tears always the marker drop it cuts in the middle of that like actual piece like it it, it's like it builds it builds and it's just out of out of nowhere drops it and that punctuates that moment even more so than if that like actual score had carried through that 
that part. Um, I don't know if you guys had any other, I, I, I think the power of silence in this film in particular is just really um, transcendent, especially, I mean, you get to that last piece of the, the man singing and he's just completely acapella at the end uh, when it cuts to credits. Um, I didn't know if anyone else had any, no, any that, observations. The pin it's, drop definitely, like, it's, it's so symbolic because it's like, you know, the notes don't get a resolution. Like, you're in yeah. the chord, the yeah. chord and then it doesn't resolve. And it's like, <laughs> and then the characters yeah. don't get a resolution at yeah. that point. Oh, so underscores just, it perfectly. Yeah, they do a great job. I also like that it's, uh, they found like Japanese uh, newfound glory to do some of the tracks where it's like the, the, uh, <laughs> it's like early 2000s pop punk at some points. And I'm like, what the hell? I was here for it though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gave me life. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Sold. It gave me life, but I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And it, which was an interesting contrast. So we kind of, we had, whenever it leaned into more of like a, almost like a traditional Japanese score, even to more of a modern, like almost Western score. We had piano, lots of strings, but then you just like, we just get, get our little pop punk. We don't have anything like crazy, like trombones or anything. Oh, that would have totally just That'd changed this entire movie. <laughs> real big fish out of nowhere. And I mean, the, the sound editing in general that Alex was getting at, uh, both with the pen drop, but also just every, I think of uh, just the sound editing as a whole in the film, but specifically when, Mitsuha's sister is waking her up and there's always that abrupt cut, that slamming of the door and it's like, jarred, you're awake. This is your, your Mitsuha now, not Taki. And this is a, uh, an entirely different situation. But also, um, I believe, was it Ragwimps, or excuse me, Radwimps that, that scored most of, most of your name and that was their, their eighth studio album was, was your name. It was the soundtrack for the film. Um, and they kind of emerged. I don't know if they'd be a Japanese household name, but they are a, a very relevant, you know, uh, group to Japan and they kind of emerged in, in the mid 2000s really and, and from there carried on but they're still producing that was a newfound glory band I was talking about is that the same I don't know I was asking I have no idea okay I have no you idea. said mid 2000s and I was triggered I, I, <laughs> probably a little bit but it um it, it does it's a testament to the power of soundtrack in a film but also having a very relevant and uh, you know bringing in musicians that can really instill something I think we have so much like temp music and just music that that means very little that, that these redundant compositions in a lot of modern film whereas you know we have exceptions every once in a while like I think your name and we joked about tether, tethering in I was trying to figure out a way to to tie in call me by your name to your name oh that also has a really but has a very unique in a in a, in a soundtrack that's composed by Sufjan Stevens another mm-hmm. what I would argue an, an independent household name and in uh, in America, and I think those those really draw an extra weight. Those that that relevance that 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 music itself. It is popular music, and it is by popular artists. But it's also um, it, it just adds a bit of gravity to the film that mm. I think would otherwise be lost if they they didn't have them there. And that is an interesting point. Whenever you have, if you have like a a band or you know a famous musician who can then sing like a title song like that, then they can carry the orchestral um, you know instrumental piece through that work so it feels like a a unified object versus um you know you have like a title song composed by prince for example for a a film or something like that so it's just like it it pulls it through and then it's kind of unifies the message of the film yeah well i mean i think uh alexandra uh one thing you mentioned on our most recent episode of uh, the Cinematic Schematic was talking about Donnie Darko uh, tying in with uh, time travel film scores, and that has uh, a lot of tears, uh, tears for fears uh, in the soundtrack, which is awesome. Uh, but th- those were pre-existing songs that existed before that movie. However, we got Gary Jules's cover of 
uh, Mad World, which is like, that's the iconic song that's forever associated with that movie and has actually gone on to to grow past the movie, I'd argue. It's more popular than just the film even. Exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, but that's not com- a common occurrence. So I think this movie does that really well. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on with, with the, the way that they use the, the soundtrack and the, the music is we, we see the meteor hitting, like, I think I counted three times in this movie at the very beginning, uh, once in the middle and then once at the end, I really like how the music cues totally change the tone each time. The first time, it's like an introduction, so it's kind of like this really fast-paced, like, oh, here's a preview of what you're going to see in the rest of this movie. The we don't know that anyone's going to die, die from the meteor. Yeah. <laughs> well, the second time, it's that really it's that really tragic sound right before the crash. And then at the end, it's triumphant, uh, because you have the band... I, Wish I had the name of the song in front of me, but uh, it's, that's where you have the, the big triumphant moment where uh, the song that I forever associate with this movie playing beneath it, and it's it's a lot happier. So I think the, the way they use the score is little subtle ways like that help set the mood quite a bit. Well, another thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, we talk about like the time travel element, and, and there's also the element of like you know being in someone else's body, but the way that this is a, the the constructs of masculinity and fem- femininity are presented uh, in the film are very interesting to me just because, you know, initially it's like that shock of it, but then they start to like learn themselves and they start to help each other in different areas, uh, you know, being of like the other gender, but being able to like function as well. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to see what you thought about that. Well, yeah, they they adopt briefly one of another's, you know, I guess femininity and masculinity. So you have uh, Taki, who who is very emotionally removed, like a lot of, I think, uh, men in general, but uh, especially in this day and age. But uh, he opens up; he's willing to to talk to people in meaningful ways, and not just be this kind of deviant. That in in a little way, no more than any like teenage boy, but unfortunately, but still, he he grows in that sense. He grow he he becomes a little more emotionally close to people and and intimate, and can actually have more meaningful conversations that aren't just, you know, by the wind. And, and whereas Mitsuha, she becomes a bit more affirmative. She becomes a bit more forward. She's given this, this newfound sense of agency. She can, you know, she doesn't just endure, you know, the, the, the things people say about her. She actually makes a, a comment and stands up for herself. Um, there's other things too. I mean, with that masculinity and femininity, there's also a spirituality that, that um, Taki completely, he does not have it whatsoever. Yet somehow he he in a way adopts it distantly through Mitsuha and 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 the inverse being I think she learns to to kind of maybe live a little bit maybe kind of let herself be her own person not be so cut up in the in the ritual and ceremony even though that is still incredibly important to her she doesn't lose that but she 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 grows from it in a way that that compels her to to you know do something a little bit differently ultimately relocate. Granted, her house was destroyed. I think, and <laughs> but, she lived okay. But she did. She did eventually go to Tokyo, and while well, she wasn't, didn't get to truly. I mean, she did briefly, but she didn't. She wasn't reborn as a boy in Tokyo again. She did. She did at least get to migrate and and kind of be her own person, and and in a way, develop her identity. And so too, Taki gets to. Um, and I think that's a that's a pretty important exchange within the film that happens. Yeah, when we see the um, Mitsuya standing up to her dad at the end, that's kind of a culmination of her coming into her own and finally having that courage to be like, dude, listen, we got to go. Like, shit's about to go down, my guy. Yeah, and it's also important that that ta- they so both kind of realize, like, Taki is not going to be the one that, you know, it's not just him that's going to fix this. You know, his method of trying to save the town 
I mean, there, he's always constantly questioning himself. Is Mitsuo, is she going to be better at this? Should she be in control of her own body right now? And, and in part, the question, I mean, it's a little bit of both, but, but in part, it's, it's yes. And, and I think that's pretty fascinating. One, well, I would say that he he empowers her to to uh, have the ability to stand up to her father, which is mm-hmm. kind of especially when we get that flashback. We see that's like the the one of the biggest challenges of, in her life is kind of coming into her own um, without her mother and having to play that equal figure for her family. And I think that the movie does a really good job. There's an added layer. I think Daniel alluded to it earlier. There's an added layer to the gender dynamics between America and Japan. I think you know. I think the the, the film does a pretty good job at keeping it pretty universal. But there's some small nuances here and there. Um, but I, I think um, that being able for these characters to being able to put each uh, the, themselves in the shoes of someone who has to walk an entirely different life, having those different expectations, um, ultimately is what. Um, pushes them both to grow as individuals, which is where the romantic spark... It's, it's a really weird romantic spark because they don't actually see each other until the end of the movie, but they know each other so intimately. I don't know. Uh, I guess like, well, I guess on the, uh, the mountain, they see each other through the, the spiritual connection. But, I mean, it, it's like that's the only time they see each other f- for their entire lives, yet they have this close bond that I think can only come out of being pu- put in extremely uncomfortable situations at the same time and being able to relate in that way. One thing I was really I, that always strikes me when I watch the movie is uh, whenever their body swapped and then the each uh, like their friends will of the same gender, you know they're typically associated with that gender. Um, you know when Mitsuya is in Taki's body, um, her friend is like, oh, I'm kind. Of, I, I think he's. I don't know. There's something about him, you know, and that that kind of speaks to me in a, in a way that. Yeah, exactly. It's just it just it to me it just kind of like speaks to the idea that um t- uh it's kind of affirming to the idea that gender is a is part of the mind. It's not necessarily what body you were born into or anything like that. I mean, the, it just kind of brings all together like uh, questioning constructs of gender and what it, what is it to me female or male or non-binary or anything like that and what is it to actually be in a body that you don't necessarily associate at as I think that's just really fascinating um, and uh, and I think it's a, it's an interesting place to explore especially in a movie that's kind of more of a romantic com- romantic dramedy <laughs> fair enough yeah no it's uh you see it in certain points with like uh, for example when uh, Mitsuya is in Taki's body and gets him that date with the, his boss and then she's kind of disappointed that she can't go on the date with her and so it's like well, if you end up going on the date but you can kind of see that there's kind of some fluidity there that she's yeah. like I kind of want to go on that date with her Yeah, but yeah. she's like a female like in a male's body like yeah, it's, it's just, an interesting take on it yeah it just has like brings up a lot of questions about what necessarily is gender and if you're socialized one way what does that mean whenever you're Expecting a different type of interactions if you look a different way. Anything else? Oh no, I was just going to say I agree. I mean, the film definitely liberates the the institution of gender. Oh yeah, in of itself. So up to the uh, up to the point of, you know, whenever we start figuring out what's happened to the town, it does kind of seem like a romantic dramedy. You're like, oh, this is cool, and then 
he's like, whoa, like this town was gone three years ago. So like that introduction of like the time travel element was really interesting to me. What do you think about that and kind of the turning point of that, how that affects the rest of the narrative of the story? Uh, yeah, well, this is this movie's great, and I guess technically because it fits in with our time travel theme, it's a slight spoiler, I guess, because whenever you're watching this the first time, I mean, it doesn't give away, I don't think it gives away any of the plot details, but I know the first time I watched it, I had no clue there was any time travel in this movie at all, and then you're like, you think you got the movie figured out, you're like, oh, okay, it's heading here, they're eventually going to figure out, they're in each other's bodies, they're developing this romantic connection, that's really cool, they're going to find a way, oh, something happened, he's going to go find her, and oh my god, it was three years, whoa, how is he going <laughs> to? get back to stop this awful thing from happening oh what the heck? what's this movie even about anymore I, I don't know like it just totally takes like a left turn uh and really subverted my expectations because i thought it was just a romantic comedy that had the weird you know the the the, the body swapping element a little bit of sci-fi and fantasy but then it becomes something entirely different once you add that in there and i think that this film does a really great job at doing what the best time travel films is which is saying don't worry about it too much like it makes as much the time travel in this movie uh upon close watch makes about as much sense as you want it to and just about as much sense as you need it to because i think at the end of the day the way that it justifies itself is by tying it in with the spirituality um the spiritual aspect more, less so than the, the science fiction aspect yeah exactly and a lot of film and i think y you mentioned can you all hear me for some reason i couldn't hear myself for a second oh, there we go okay Awesome. The, uh, the the film itself, it doesn't rely a lot of time travel narratives. They do rely on the science. They rely on this device that that's imprecise and precise at the same time, but it but it's pretty specific regardless, whereas this, it doesn't. That The device, that vehicle of time travel is something that's, for the most part, completely ineffable. Um, there's no attempt to try and really explain. Maybe loosely, and, and again, more in a spiritual sense rather than a... So the than fabric. A, the, the, it's yeah, like the, 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 the idea, thread that the tethers thread us all. Yeah, tethers us all together, which I think is another really cool separate theme that's kind of tangentially time travel. These two people are just weirdly connected in, in th via through this meteor shower or through the, the god she worships that this occurrence happened. Because otherwise, these two have absolutely no connection whatsoever. Yeah. But yet they have this deep gnawing awe deep inside uh, of themselves for each other. And it, that's only accomplished by time travel. Yeah, and the film, you know, they they establish it as more of a, a feeling and an experience, less so than a just this 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 mechanism that is. I, I think a lot of time travel narratives they tend to, you know, there's there's always this goal. Not to say this one doesn't become a bit goal oriented eventually, but in a way they're kind of just going through it. They're just experiencing, I guess, what what's happening. You have like, you know, 12 monkeys. Uh, you know, James is trying to to save the world and prevent a disease. Looper, he's Bruce Willis again, is trying to close the because he shows up there a lot. Um, you know, Marty McFly going back and trying to to mend something uh, in Futurama, Fry going back to try and, you know, preserve the life of his grandfather and, and inadvertently have sex with his his grandmother. I don't know if that was one of his goals, but it, it happens. And <laughs> you know, if you want to get into the Freudian, grandma looking right, no, yeah, there's something Oedipal there, but but either way, it it it's less concerned because they never really remember. Taki doesn't remember why he was there, what he was doing, and and to a point that doesn't really matter. It doesn't really make a difference. It's the the feeling, the 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 relationship you have is less with somebody is is less contingent upon the the ends the, the fact that you had a relationship and that you either got married or that you were together for 6 years or that you know yada 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 regardless of how momentary it was there's there's meaning in that and there's value it might not always be the most pleasant feeling it can be 
just as easily, you know, perilous. But but with that comes, uh, I think, an intrinsic value that you can at least grow and and become your own. And and the thing is, this time travel in this film, it's it really it does remove a bit of the mysticism and the magical part of it because all that they're left with is a feeling. But I think it's something so much more real and beautiful. I mean, they are going to have to get reacquainted with one another once they because they don't really. In a way, they don't know each other, but they know the feeling, I guess, or of one another, and they know this experience that's shared. But but ultimately, they're going to have to get reacquainted, and who knows if Taki and Mitsuo actually succeed. They might go on a date. Like, maybe it doesn't work. <laughs> I hate to say that, but... but Ultimate dark ending. It all is, of that no. for nothing. Yeah. Date. But either way, it, 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 that's not really the... <laughs> I kind of thought it would be yeah. funny. Not fun, like really darkly funny. Don't... <laughs> funny? It, okay, it's going to be hilarious if the whole thing this fell is apart. Re- this is going to be horrible, but I want to say, okay, when they blow up the factory, <laughs> what if it just catalyzes a forest fire that just destroys everything anyway? Everyone died anyway. And he just, yeah, everyone died. <laughs> it actually, go back and stop even more, like it. 500 people died. This Like, it just completely, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, maybe, maybe, and he just runs into somebody random, and he's like, ah, oh, good, and That's whatever. Fine. Well, yeah, but... Fortunately, that's not it. I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> Mitsua, uh, but it seemed to allude to that anyway. But but either way, the point being, there it was the experience they have, not so much the fact that they get to just be together. It's not obsessed with the, the I guess the product, the, the 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 result of the equation, but rather the the equation itself and the and the formula and what got them there. And I think there's something beautiful in that that the film focuses on it. The journey, not necessarily the end. Exactly. The road. Now and real quick, you mentioned the uh, the power plant or whatever shout out to tessie for being ready to blow that shit up like i a, know at the drop Very of a hat effectively. on a hunch wow. i love how like the city yeah planners, we'll blow it up the like city, the city planners are like was it terrorist i'm like technically yes it was terrorist <laughs> actually <laughs> i was like jesus this is a ride or die if i've ever seen one and it took man there was he, he's a, he's an angsty team man all it took was this girl saying Listen, just trust me. We gotta blow this thing up. Okay, I got this. <laughs> he was too ready. He probably played. I mean, violent. his dad he told played him to learn explosives, <laughs> and he was like, "That sounds really dumb." And then, oh wait, <laughs> this is my, my calling. god, this devolved. I kind of wonder: is he like on the run? Is that why he's like growing the beard at the end of the film? Yeah. And he's oh, like, shit. "I'm still." He's in witness protection. They still don't know I did that. <laughs> <He's> just... <laughs> They yeah they, he's in a database somewhere. Sorry, I got That's I got off funny. track. I started thinking about it. <laughs> Did we get a sequel with this guy? A spinoff? I know his no. name. <laughs> Their name? I don't know. No, it's not a mob film. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> All right. My God. Uh, well, that was the end of the questions that I had, but I didn't know. Oh, if... I had a time oh, travel real quick. I thought it'd be really interesting. I know we're screening Donnie Darko here again um, later. I think it's next week. Next Monday. Next Monday. So is Donnie Darko is next Monday. Interesting parallels there. I haven't, I've seen these actually in really close proximity, um, Donnie Darko and this film. Uh, there's a, like a very catastrophic incident. There's parallel timelines. There's feelings of loss and remorse where people are, they're like, do I know you? Do I not know you? They, they feel like they've been in a dream and they have like weird associations from a past life. There's a whole idea where I need to save a bunch of people Otherwise, this, you know, got to end the town. And then they don't really explain that in the, the cut that I think they're screening, the theatrical cut, they don't really explain the time travel element. They don't get into the book and all that stuff. Um, I just thought that was really, really interesting. Dang, yeah. It's <laughs> and it's like, it'd be a weir- grade A weirdest double feature, I think, uh, these two films back to back. But uh, both time travel related. So. That's dope. Yeah. I did not think of that. 
No, all. it's. I mean, it was I just. I didn't either until you just stated that. I'm just like, well, pondering. There's, there's, there are a lot of similarities there. Yeah. One, one's a lot happier than the other, though. Eh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Donnie Darko. Uh, <laughs> now yeah, does, especially if they go on one <laughs> date afterwards and they break up forever. Yeah. Um, that was the end of the discussion questions I had, but I didn't know if anyone in the audience had any questions. Jackie? I just had a comment. Hang on. Let me. You got to talk into the mic. I was just going to say, as far as the sound editing goes, one of the things that really stood out to me was just, like, the bell. Yeah. Just yeah. the ding whenever something significant happens and just letting it resonate and not cutting it off and not doing anything else to really accentuate it, just the bell. Just ding and letting you sit with that ding. Because even though it's not silence, it's so close to it and yet... So it's like a very stark underline to like, this is important, but yeah. I'm not going to scream it at you. Like, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. One of those subtle ways you can condition the the audience to, to really, isn't there a famous experience where they like try to condition a dog to like. Pavlov. 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 Yeah, exactly. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's interesting. Cause like from what I can recall, the bells are not, Sometimes it's like questioning, it's, is this a spiritual ding? Is it a reality ding? Sometimes the ding sound, it was like one time it sounded like a bike bell. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, is this a subway chime? And, and like, so it's like, it, again, it's in that weird foggy place, kind of like the idea of the twilight. Is this real? It, what does real mean? Um, mm-hmm. Like in that kind of gray space of reality, fiction, metaphysics, all that stuff. So it's like where, again, kind of transcending the physical into the spiritual realm. Yeah. The blur. Isn't that kind of cool how this movie, uh, it's something I, I've caught on to in repeat viewings, is just how it all feels like a dream all the time. You know what I mean? Like they, the reason they forget so quickly, it's like when you wake up from a really vivid dream, you're like, even three minutes later, you're like, wait, what was what was that that detail? I missed it. Anyway, just really cool tying with the spiritual, kind of related to what Alex was talking about with the, the bells. Any other questions? If no, we'll wrap up. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around real quick. Why don't you tell people where they can follow you guys? You can plug your social media and your podcast and all that good stuff. One thing I want to mention before I uh, before we get into that, there's a bit of... I always like to, whenever you leave a film, like <laughs> the, the best thing you can do, I think, to continue your, your film education, but also your media education, is to find things that are similar. So just a few pieces that, that I think relate to this. Uh, I didn't realize the connection to Donnie Darko, but... Damn, that is actually a very, yeah, very incredibly relevant uh, film to to parlay this one off of. Another one I would think if you're if you want to find anime films that that stick out and are a little bit more modern, The Girl Who Left Through Time, of course, from from 2006, and then uh, A Silent Voice, I believe, is that. Yeah, thank you for by the way, my close friend Cheyenne and Zach introducing me to that film. Um, it is, uh, it's not a time travel. It's not really a fantasy, but it does incorporate a magically real element and it does so to, to rebuild and kind of reconcile one's past and become a better person out of that. And then a video game I think is really relevant, which is, uh, what remains of Edith Finch? A, yeah, kind of, I guess, walking simulator. Yeah. But it's, it's about this, uh, I guess that's what people call that kind of style of game. Yeah. Walking sim, basically like an environment you walk around and you interact with the 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 environment and that's how you un, you unravel the story. Yeah, and it, it, it's a it's more somewhat more of a passive. You just don't do things like a game, but there's not like a competitive element to it. There's not, but you you play as a, a 
a uh, Edith Finch, uh, um, a pregnant woman who every member of his fa- her family has died in like mysterious circumstances. And she goes back to the house where they all resided and she experiences, she goes back to the past in a way and experiences their demise, um, you know, through their eyes. And, and you get, that's where the kind of the game element plays as you, you play these different, um, these different relatives and ancestors and Damn. really fascinating, but also somewhat similar to your name. In a lot Got of that on GameCube or now? No, they <laughs> just Dreamcast. Then I don't mess with it. Dreamcast <laughs> exclusive uh, Xbox One, PlayStation Four, and PC, I believe. Yeah, they might get yeah. Atari no, Pretty pretty much all the big ones if you want. <laughs> the Nintendo Switch might get it one day. Oh snap! Uh, Daniel, don't forget to tell people where they can find you on social media. Oh, that's right. Okay, uh, Daniel Pokipper on uh, Twitter and Facebook. I think if you just search my name, you'll find me. But also, uh, World Literature Today. I'll be writing about Lagos Noir in our upcoming issue and then the the Uncle Alma Gazette I write about a, a lot of different things and also the Cinematropolis I wrote a piece somewhat introducing the film in a more kind of emotional sense I guess uh on the Cinematropolis so um if you liked your name and you want to take a brief you know five minutes to or less maybe to read uh uh something you know related to your name then then please do find us on the cinematropolis.com well, uh, Daniel, I'm going to steal your idea uh, and uh, make more recommends. I don't know. I might have recommended this last week because I keep talking about it because time travel. Um, Lost, season four, episode uh, eight or nine, <laughs> somewhere in there. Uh, this guy yeah, with dude. his loss. That guy. Best time travel on television. I'm telling you what. Uh, the Constant, really, really great romantic, also romantic story, also dreamlike, also about... Weird sci-fi stuff, but it's it's not. But they they simplify all these big ideas into like a romantic story that uh, you know. Of course, if you've watched the whole show, it's really easy to like. I mean, that that rewards you more. But it's a it's a great standalone episode. You don't have to have seen any of the other show, the rest of the show, to watch that episode. It's called really, Constant. yeah, an episode of Lost. I know. You don't have to watch. I'm not saying it's. I'm not. Saying it's like embedded in the fourth season, and <laughs> it's you don't. In the fourth season, you can watch. I, I. I would argue you can watch it as a standalone. Episode. Okay, I'll trust you. Experiment. It's Jacob agrees. Do we have a second? We have a okay. We got a second in the audience. We got right. an amen in the back. That's right. Uh, Lo- <laughs> Lost is now streaming on Hulu, uh, and uh, yeah. And last week we did Twelve Monkeys, but so I'm just going to shamelessly plug that. It's a great movie. Um, but you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, tweeting about film, uh, films, television, video games uh, at C Masters Talk. That's uh, letter C Masters Talk, and you can follow all the work we're doing at the Cinematropolis at the Cinematrop on Twitter and Instagram, and you can look us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis. The uh, the L- the idea of like plugging something that's similar to this reminds me of. An animated discussion. We do that at the end of every episode. You at the end of every. Why don't you tell people what that show is? Oh, thanks, Harold. Nice way to set me up there. Uh, <laughs> um, also, if you're a fan of Batman, because who isn't? Let's be real. Um, I also have a show that I co-host with Joshua Unruh. Uh, he is a comic book scholar. I bring his comic book expertise, and I'm a film critic. Bring my film critic expertise to Batman the Animated Series. Uh, we go through uh, not every episode, but I would say the majority of the episodes. Uh, one by one, uh, we also did had a live episode of Matt where we discussed Mask of the Phantasm here at the Tower earlier this year. Uh, so look us up. The podcast is called An Animated Discussion 
dash DCAU. They're not, they're short and sweet, usually anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes an episode, uh, unless we have a guest or two on, and then it gets a little longer, but it's still super quick. Uh, listen, and at the end of every one of those episodes, yeah, I, I, I baked that into the show, too. I said, Joshua, we got we to gotta like make recommends, keep the conversation going. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, Daniel. So uh, check us out there. Yep. It's good. Uh. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. My name's Alexander Bohannon. You can find me on Twitter at Alex V. Bohannon, B-R-O-H-A-N-N-O-N. It's a brobanto of my last name. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at the same handle. You can find us on Soundtrack at um, The Cinematic Schematic. We, I would definitely check out our Time Travel 101 episode that has lots of great content, some with Planet Thunder Productions, where we talk about their newest upcoming film, Shifter. And uh, we talk about that uh, time travel horror film. We also talk about... Um, other time travel films in my segment, Sound Trek. And then we, uh, you guys talk about... Uh, we, we, we talked about Sorry to Bother You. Not sorry to Bother You, which is not time travel themed, but hey. time travel movies that came out. They I, don't come I out that like much, I guess. Hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, my shameless recommend is also by this director. Um, it's called Garden of Words. It came out maybe three years before this film. It is also as beautifully animated as this film. It also has a, uh, it's kind of, it's definitely more grounded, uh, kind of more of a snapshot of kind of what it's like living in Japan, but then there's that gut-punching twist uh, that you will, it'll feel like a train hits you, but it's great in the best possible way. So um, definitely, uh, again, it's another Kleenex box uh, Raider of, an, of a movie. <laughs> Let's just lay out the, this director, all of his movies are Yeah, like I still haven't seen five centimeters per second. That one's, uh, that one's, very melodramatic. Yes. Yes. So I'd heard. But yes, I want to see all of those. Man in the They're very good one. films. So check them all out. Cool. And you can follow our podcast. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you can listen to us on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your fine podcasts. So thanks, y'all. Thanks for coming. Thanks, everyone.